I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, and then, so every every time you're walking along the street, every time you're sitting on a ski lift, every time you're um, taking a paddle in a boat, we're always thinking, what if? And uh, yeah, would bodies float in that? Would How long would it take a body to show up after an avalanche if you push them off a cornice or stuff like that? Yeah, so there's yeah. all these what if questions going on. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast, which if you've been listening, you should know, part of the Solid Listen podcast network. If you have not been listening, we are part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today on a beautiful but hot as shit day. If you're in the Midwest, if you're out here on the East Coast, or like me in between, it is hot, man. Hot. The heat index is keeping all my friends inside. In Ohio, in Southern Ohio, the power is out like, like tens of thousands of people. Just lost power. It was so hot. We have been fortunate here in Pittsburgh. The bunker is uh, strapped in and ready to go for all this. But it's still lovely outside. Like, if you just look, it's beautiful. I got the bird feeder with my new solar, uh, or my bird bath with my new solar little water pump. Water's coming up. Birds are hanging out. Deer are eating all the food out of the bird feeder that falls down. Nature is uh, doing its thing. So I hope wherever you are that uh, you're doing all right. Today on the program, you're going to go on a ride. Louise Mangas is here. Her book, The Beaten Path, is out right now. And I'm telling you what, man, she's one of those people who 
one, the interview was so easy. Like I would just ask a question and she had great stories and is a very good storyteller and is just fun and awesome. Leans into the fact that she is interesting and has led a really interesting life without being arrogant about it and also recognizing like there is some privilege that comes with that. But, you know, all that said, we all got our shit, man. And uh, it was so fun. Like uh, we only got about halfway through her life. It was one of those interviews. If you've listened to this show, you know, there are times that like people are so interesting. I just I'm like, well, tell me more about that thing. Because she would just like offhandedly be like, oh, yeah, I backpacked around the world. And she'd move on. And uh, I was like, yeah, we're not. We're not moving on. We're going to stay there for a little bit. So you are in for a treat. She is award-winning suspense fiction uh, writer. She does short stories as well. Her novels are set mostly in Switzerland. You will find out why that is. Uh, the Beaten Track, which is out now. Psychological thriller taking the reader around the world. You'll find out about that as well. And then here's things that you won't find out in the interview. She has a master's in crime writing from the University of East Anglia in the UK. I very I could be fucking that all up. Uh, lives in the foot uh, at the foot of the Alps with her Kiwi husband and two sons, where she enjoys uh, skate skiing, a thing I have no idea about, in the winter and wild swimming in the summer. Also, mountain biking. Like she does, she does everything. Like she's just. You'll see. You'll see. So, some quick business. Uh, you know, the jam out every Wednesday. Our short programs, jam sessions, and the after party. They're out mostly Fridays and Mondays. Need you to leave reviews either over at Apple Podcasts if you've got an iPhone or iPad. Otherwise, head over to Facebook at the Writer's Jam and leave us a review. Little review button there. It's real easy to find. Other thing you can do is tell your friends about us. That's how this podcast gig thing works. At thewritersjam.com, our website, book reviews, uh, you can buy books through the bookshop link, our monthly newsletter, the Apple uh, subscription, $4.99 for all 12 shows on Solid Listen. And you can support the, the whole network by clicking on a Patreon button for a dollar, I think, or $5. Get commercial-free episodes. Episodes come out early. Bonus content. Malls in the cola are always cranking stuff out. We're putting some things there. It's worth the money. But... I don't want to belabor any of the points today because uh, this interview is fantastic. And if you listen to the show, you know it's not because of me. Uh, Luis Mangas is uh, awesome. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I appreciate you stopping by the bunker to spend some time with us. And now I would tell you to sit back and enjoy this conversation. But I feel like you are going to be on the edge of your seat because Luis is that cool. born in the UK. I grew up in a, a kind of rural village about 30 miles north of London. And what, what's um, it called? It's, oh, it's a, the village is called Whitwell. It's okay. part of the parish of St. Paul's Walden, whose claim to fame is that the, uh, the Queen Mother grew up there and uh, was baptized in the local church. So uh, we used to occasionally get um, lesser members of the royal family passing through the village. And, uh, but anyway, I always knew I wanted to travel. So um, after school and after college, I left and I put a backpack on my back and I, I, I started out across Europe 
with well, hang on hang on we'll get to after college in a while okay. i want to find out like so did you have brothers and sisters there were the two i have two brothers um one of them uh, went to live in south africa for about 15 years when oh, i was wow. a teenager and um the other one lives fairly close to where i grew up now so uh, were yeah, you guys mom, were you close we're, we're still close we see each other i mean from here from switzerland to the uk it's been um it's pretty easy to get across there to go and visit relatives and friends except for the last two years obviously yeah. during the pandemic which hasn't been so easy but we were i mean i think this part of europe's been the, the first um area in the world to really relax their um restrictions on travel so yeah. um i fairly quickly got back to see my mom i think it, it was just over a year that i didn't see my family yeah. so were you close when you were kids we were close when we were kids, but I was a little bit younger than my two brothers. Um, and I, I did, there was a while when I felt like I was an only child because <laughs> they were often doing their stuff. And yeah. how, um, how much older are they? They're five and seven years older, which yeah. now doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, but when you're a, an eight year old kid and you've yeah. got a 15 year old brother who doesn't want anything to do with you, at that time we weren't so close, but yeah. we could be close later. Yeah. My sister is five years older and we joked that we were only children raised in the same house. Yeah. We, were, we were just sort of never in the same school. We were, didn't really have the same friends, even though our town was very small, it was like, two humans existing in a place that we're like, eh, you know, That's you're right. here. You're close now, right? Are you close to now? We are or? closer now than we were. And I've talked to lots of people on the program and maybe you've had this experience. Like you get older and like, like you said, it doesn't matter so much. And you're sort of like, well, you're the only people that saw all the things that turned us into the people that we are. That's right. Yeah, they, You know, we, we share that history that nobody else shares. So yeah. uh, there is no I'm I think I'm closer to both my brothers now than ever but I have traveled a lot so I've been away from them a lot and um and now I'm I mean I'm fairly permanent in Switzerland now so yeah. um but they come and visit and I go and visit them and uh yeah we get together and there's all that reminiscing stuff going yeah on. <laughs> do you find that it helps you and then we'll go back to childhood do you find that it helps you when you're trying to figure out parts of yourself and like you have somebody else that's like oh this is what like this is how i experienced that thing that you were talking like it helps you triangulate sort of things in your life it does it can it can be embarrassing because what you think you did when you were a 16 year old and um doing that thing in the pub then your brother said well actually that was a bit embarrassing and he, i'll tell you why yeah yeah <laughs> you know, it's, uh, all the secrets come out about how you thought you were behaving and it actually no it wasn't like yeah. that at all <laughs> well as a writer you learn the importance of backstory like oh i didn't know that was happening <laughs> it, yeah. what, what were your parents like what did they do so my dad, um, he's passed away. He's passed away 12 years ago, but he had a great life. Um, he was um, in the Navy in the Second World War. And when he came back from the Navy, he started his own company. Um, he was making shoes and appliances for handicapped people. And so wow. working partly with the National Health Service in the UK and part privately. 
and uh, my mum worked for him as a secretary. So that was a little family business that my brother, my oldest brother then went into later. Oh, wow. And so uh, um, he had a he had a factory and an office in North London. And he just, he worked really hard, really long hours. And when he was, a, he must have been about 50 when he decided to move the family out to, to uh, rural Hertfordshire. And so that's how we came to live um in this lovely little village that i described before that's crazy yeah. like he just picked up and that was like just wanted to get you know, was do you think it was because of the military stuff like i have lots of friends that like were in wars and as they've come back they sort of gravitated to smaller places away from things yeah well i don't think it was that i think um so my i asked my mum about this actually recently because um the house that that we moved to she's still living in today and um so i was like oh what made you move all the way out here from london you know they, london was such a cool place to be she said the traffic in london was awful and yeah. <laughs> and my dad was working such long hours he felt like when he came home he didn't feel like he was getting away from work and uh, it was his always his dream to go and live in the in the country he yeah. wanted to go and live somewhere surrounded by fields and sky and um, and so, yeah, they moved out and I and he did have a long commute still because he was still working in the, that office and going back to that factory to to um, oversee the making of his uh, of these shoes and stuff. And um, so it was a long commute, but he always said that when he was driving north out of the city and and the houses would dis disappear and and and, and <laughs> suburbia would disappear, he felt like he'd left everything behind. Yeah. And it, it was his sanctuary. And yeah. even though he wouldn't get home till maybe half an hour later than he would have done if he'd been living in London, it was for him, it was a release. And uh, he loved that. And as a result, I, I am not a city girl at all. I, wherever I've lived, I've had to live in fairly small communities. And I love that. I love, the, I love living in the countryside. And um, I have to have a view. I have to look out of my window and see something that's inspiring. Um, I know some people, for some people who live in big cities, a cityscape is inspiring. But for me, it's like open green. I love water. Um, I live next to a lake. And um, that's very inspiring. I mean, you hear my accent, so you know, like I grew up, like I grew up in one of those tiny places, and there is, I was nodding. Everybody can't see because it's audio, but like there is something about leaving a city and driving out into country if you're that kind of person. I mean, it really is, it's just cathartic in a way that is hard to describe. Like you just feel it in your bones. Oh, it is. And I, I often feel city, uh, sorry for kids living in inner cities who, um, of course they don't know anything different but right. the day that they do go out somewhere to a massive park or a, or um you know the open countryside they they are actually quite agoraphobic about it they mm -hmm. it scares them in some way because this is a big world out there and they've been so you know they've been living quite claustrophobic lives so yeah. um, and it's quiet it's oh i mean it's not God, right yeah. because there's stuff but like the quiet of a bigness is you gotta like that's something that you have to acclimate yourself to it's absolutely right we used to have friends come out and stay with us from london and they'd go i can't sleep it's too quiet and then you'd hear an owl or something or a fox and they'd go what the 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really there's something um yeah, there's something really sort of strange about it. I now have to have with my Alexa, I now have like forest sounds that I sleep to. Like I can't sleep in dead quiet. I need I need that like outdoor dark wilderness sort of very light noise. Because that it just calms me down. I'm like, oh, I understand everything that's out there. I love it. I love I love those night noises, and it's never completely quiet. You know, right. it's like you've always got little animals out there yeah. and <laughs> around. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but there's no cars and sirens, and like there's no lights. That's the other thing is people don't understand the abject blackness of ruralness when there's no street lights when there's and if it's not a full moon like if you have a moon that's not out it's dark it's dark <laughs> that's right so you've always in this in the city you've got that hum you know mm -hmm. there's it's never quiet there's that hum of just humanity and traffic and and then you have as you say that ambient light it, so it's never dark and yeah. um yeah, there's something amazing about being, for example, on a mountaintop in the middle of the night and uh, on a moonless night, even seeing all those stars. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's, it's amazing. The yeah. first time I went out west and you, we'll get to you out in Colorado, I'm sure later on. But like the first time I was out there at night and you just look up and you're like, oh, well, I understand now. Like, it doesn't matter if somebody says, oh, it's a big sky out there until you stand under that. And you're like, oh, shit, this is like a planetarium. Only it doesn't stop. It's breathtaking. It is breathtaking. It's awesome. It's it's inspiring. Yeah. It's frightening because you think, well, all those little spots out there, each one is a sun and uh, yeah. it just goes on forever. And you can't even contemplate how far away everything is. Yeah. And how, how little we are in the middle of the universe. Yeah. But for me, that always brought me comfort, like in a way. I don't know if you feel that way around the ocean, too, but like I'm not a, like I go and I look at the ocean and I'm like, this is all inspiring. But like if I never saw another ocean, I wouldn't be sad. If I never got to a mountaintop and had that feeling, I would feel like something in me was not completed. So it's interesting you say that because people seem to be either ocean or mountain. Yeah. And um, I used to think I was ocean. Okay, I grew up where I grew up in the UK was right in the middle of the UK, which is in um, England, Scotland, Wales is an island. So yeah. um, I didn't get to go to the seaside very much when I was a kid. We used to go on holiday and uh, go to beach holidays and stuff. But as soon as I came to the mountains in Switzerland, and I didn't get here until I was about 20. So I had I'd never really been to big mountains until then. And when I came to Switzerland, I thought, this is my, this is my geography. This is where I want to be. Yeah. And it was so inspiring and so, I mean, awesome. It was just uh, frightening and exciting in equal measures. So um, we've lived here now with me, my husband and my kids. We've, we've been here for, uh, I've been here for 40 years almost that oh I've just kind of admitted how old I am which I don't really want to talk about because I've just had a big birthday but yeah. um we've, uh, <laughs> I always say on this program we don't do math so even though you said numbers I encourage people not to do math 
That's right. Okay. Well, I'll, we'll skip that bit then. And um, so we, when we do get to go away for like a family holiday or a vacation, we tend to go to the beach because we live in the mountains. Yeah. So we get to satisfy that little itch in a way yeah. of being near the ocean. But I miss it. After two weeks, I'm happy to get back to the hills. Yeah. And I think, and then we'll get back to your childhood, but like, I also think as a writer, I talk about all the time, I think finding your voice as a writer is the hardest thing in the world to do. Like craft and all that stuff are tools, but figuring out the sort of thing that is going to come out of you to, I think that's so hard. And I think finding a place that is your place is part of that, right? Like finding that calm and peacefulness where you can go and just be like, well, this is the me me that I'm going to be right. Like not to be Dr. <laughs> Seuss, but like, that is like, it's a gift. And I think it is a thing writers don't talk about a lot. It's true. And actually, you know, where we write is, is important to what we write as well. I mean, um, all, all my books are quite different from each other, but they have, they do have geography as, um, mm. as a background character, really. My settings are very important. And it, it's because that's my settings where I live is yeah. very important. So it's why you hear writers talk all the time about like needing a retreat or I need to get away or I need to get to this place or I need to go visit this. Like it's a, it's one of those underlying conversations and we don't talk about craft on the show, but it is one of those underlying conversations that my writer friends and I have been having forever, but we never really sit down and go, Oh yeah, that the, the space generates voice sometimes or it yeah. amplifies it. Definitely. I, and I think people, so Writing is a very solitary um, it's awful. job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't mind it, but I do appreciate the fact that you have to remove yourself from your writing space to, to get new inspiration. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned writing retreats and stuff like that. And I'm lucky enough to have this uh, place that we come to on holiday. Um, it's not very far from our permanent, where we live permanently, um, which is just north of um, the Alps and we're just south of the Alps. So it's, that's why the weather is so great here right now. And um, I, when I come here, I'm inspired by it because I've removed myself from my normal writing yeah. space. And um, I've put myself somewhere that I consider very special. So it triggers a lot of things in my writing as well. And um, I, I'm very lucky to have that. I yeah. know some people aren't able to go on writing retreats and some people only have a, you know the dining room table in their wee little apartment to write at and I appreciate that um but it, it and it for them maybe they find their escape I, I read or I read a lot of books too but maybe they're watching films or they're you know going out and walking down their street it might be something very very local yeah. that I think is really important I, I'm just finishing up Dave Grohl from Nirvana and the Foo Fighters, he's got a book called The Storyteller. And it's a, yeah. I don't, it's one of the few books that I've read just for like, I picked it up for pleasure. A lot of times I'm reading for work or whatever. And he, I literally just put it down before I came in for this conversation. He was talking about when Nine Inch Nails was recording their album and they happened to be there. Uh, and he was saying, the space that we recorded in my whole life dictates the music that comes out. He's like it from smells like teen spirit, you know, from that album to everything I do today. And he's like, I walk into a place and I immediately know or very quickly realize, oh, this energy is coming out of here. And these are what the songs are going to sound like. And I thought, yeah. yeah, I read that and was like, yeah, that's 
I think every creative person is like, yeah, no, the energy is important. Not to be crystal. Very cool, like actually. I've, re I've very rarely been to a place where I don't think I can write, but there are a couple of times I've gone somewhere and thought, no, I can't be creative here. It's really, w whether there's an atmosphere there or a bad spirit, I don't know. But it, I, I have been to a couple of places where I think, I'm not opening my laptop. I'm not opening my notebook. Um, let's move on. We'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I wasn't going to say it, but since you said that, he was visiting the, the house where the Manson murders happened. Oh, my God. And that was where Nine Inch Nails was recording their, their second album which had a ton of hits on it, but it's very dark, very brooding. Yes. And, and Grohl left. He was like, I can't, I, he just, he went out and he's like, I went out and jumped in the pool, washed all that off me and left. And he was like, it was amazing. He's like, I understand why that album was the way that it was. And I was reading that and I'm like, I'm not a new agey person, but also as an artist, I'm like, I 100% believe what you've just said. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Places do have vibes, it's particularly buildings, not necessarily geography out, outdoors, but yeah. certain buildings have really, really creepy vibes. Yeah. So now we're going to, now that people are like, what the hell just happened with that? So <laughs> as you were growing up, like what kind of kid were you? You said you were sort of, by, you know, you were sort of an only child with two older brothers. Were you extroverted, introverted? Like, who were you in school? Um, I went through a confusing childhood, not knowing who I was. I didn't find myself until very, very much later. And um, I was the kind of kid who would sort of tag along to little groups of people. And I was very easy. I, I, was, I found it quite easy to tag on to different groups of people, depending on what they were doing or how they were acting. Um, sometimes that wasn't good because I ended up at some stage in my childhood tagging on to a, a bit of a group that were notorious troublemakers. And uh, that didn't last too long though, because I, I mean, I have, my parents are very respectable and I have very, you know, my brothers were people I could look up to and, and they set an example. So. But um, I eventually found that um, I was veering towards the artistic groups of kids rather than um, I veered away from the troublemakers. I veered away from the, uh, the geeks. Um, I was part of them for a while too. Um, yeah, so I became, I, I became quite embroiled in, in art and, and painting and uh, that side of creativity, Did which you... is I am. I do paint as well, so. Well, we're going to get into that because I, I, I have theories about painting and writing, but like, I also, I think that I think a lot of writers, I don't think I've interviewed a bunch of them and I have many of friends. Like, I think a lot of us went through that is the sort of standing on the outside, looking at a thing and trying to understand, like, what is this all about? And what is like, you all seem to fit together and I don't. So I'm going to like, I feel like that's part of the writer's journey. It is a way, I mean, in a way, I mean, I've always written, but I didn't know I was going to write novels when I was that young. Nobody does. I, I was writing, um, I was drawing cartoons and, and writing graphic, no yeah, graphic not novels, novels, but little yeah. booklets. And then I was, um, in my teens, I wrote some truly horrible poetry about broken hearts oh, and stuff. So. I mean, I mean, are you even a teenager if you don't write emo poetry about love? I don't, if anyone ever finds those things, it will be so embarrassing. You know, if I, have all of, 
I have all of mine organized from seventh <gasps> grade through high school. Oh, I don't know. I think mine are locked away somewhere in some box, and I think they can probably stay there forever. Oh, I don't go they read them. Really big, and then I'm gonna like yeah. auction them off on eBay or something. Mm, <laughs> that's one of the things that I'm like, burn that shit, guys. Like, I look, <laughs> leave all of my whatever deviant stuff on the computer. I don't care. Humans are like that. Burn that box <laughs> of writing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we were. So that. Um, that I did so as I said I eventually found my um my art and um and I also I sort of I became a bit bohemian really and I wanted to be a 60s girl even though I was born in the 60s but I wasn't yeah. a 60s girl because I was only a kid then but yeah. um, I wanted to stay in that era and my husband still calls me hippie girl every now and then because I'll put on some tie-dye dress and uh, and look at my hair I mean it's it's uh, yeah, a bit hippie, <laughs> but um, so then I then travel came into it. So yeah. as I grew up um, through my teens, that became a big ambition of mine was to travel widely, and um, and I could combine that with writing and sketching. I used to take sketchbook with me when it was two things went in my backpack that were really important: a notebook or a journal and a sketch pad and pencils. Once I graduated, once well, even when I was in college, and so once I started traveling, same thing. I have a book bag. I'd have one pair of jeans, you know, three t-shirts, extra socks, shoes, and always had something to write in. And uh, I had a camera. Oh, like, well done! Yeah, that's even uh... if it was like a little shitty camera. I was like, I'm, and I have all these little notebooks. When I would travel, we used to call them free souvenirs. Anywhere I went business card, postcards, and I'd have the, and I'd tape them into my notebook and then write what was happening, like everywhere I went. I did that too. And you yeah. know, you're collecting little bits of souvenirs, like um, and park entrance tickets and stuff Everything. like yeah. that. Yeah. And it just, yeah, then it then goes a story. And I did, I did send back a lot of stuff to my, to my mom. Um, so one of the big, trips I did in the States, which is how I ended up in Colorado. I don't know if you were going to go there, but I'm going to go there for Wait, you. Hang on. Was this after college? This was after college. Okay. Yeah. So before, before we get to that one. So what happens when you're finishing high school? Like, do you have designs to go to college or are you like, well, I just want to travel and do some, like, what's that so journey? I, well, to do that, I needed to earn money. So um, I went to a local community college and I studied business communications which also <laughs> involved yeah so they're yeah. kind of still writing yeah um not i've heard writing. a version of this story so many times like <laughs> i wanted to write but i also needed money and yeah. writing didn't seem like a career so well it was traveling at that point so um i was trying to work out ways that i could earn money and write so i was kind of um looking at doing some copywriting for whatever so I went and studied business communications. But what happened there was I learned how to type, which was the best thing I ever did. And I learned how to take shorthand, which oh. was great at the time. But I, I tell you, I, I don't know any of it now. I, I don't write shorthand anymore. Yeah. But it was very useful at the time. And um, so I went off and I started working as a temporary secretary for various people i would um transcribe some of that some i transcribed some manuscripts for some people handwritten Ooh. manuscripts which is really cool um <laughs> and then i saved up enough money so that i could travel and did, 
did you graduate college or did you leave college? I kind of left. Yeah, so, I was like, we'll, I didn't we'll hear the, that later. Yeah, I was like, I didn't hear the graduation <laughs> story. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to do after you almost graduated college <laughs> and like the adventure that happens after. So we'll be back in just a minute. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <laughs> all right. Uh, you all just missed a wonderful conversation about baking and cooking. Um, <laughs> so you don't graduate. Why? Um, so at that point, then I decided I really needed some money. And, um, and I have, was offered a job at a, a company in London as a temporary secretary, and they were paying really good money. And I thought, OK, I can if I if I work hard for a year, and uh, I ended up working for several different companies. But if I work hard, I can save money and I can do this backpacking thing that I really wanted to do. So did you have uh, a destination or were you like, did you sort of know, like, I want to go to Southeast Asia. I want to go to Australia. I want to go to America. Well, so that, that came, that came later. But I thought, well, I'll start small. And um, uh, it was, uh, I can't remember what year it was, 19... Yeah, we don't do that. It doesn't matter. (laughs) That's giving too much away. uh, You can't see my gray hair in the (laughs) the podcast, so that's good. Anyway, um, yeah, so I put the backpack on my back and said, Mom, I'm traveling across Europe. And um, she went, oh, my God. And then that's all she ever said. She's never said it. Both my parents have always been incredibly supportive of any decisions I've taken. They never stopped me doing anything. So I put this backpack on my back and I said, I'm going to Greece and I'm going to lie on a beach for the summer. And when I run out of money, I'm going to find a job in a bar and I'm going to do what everyone else was doing at that time. Yeah. It was the 80s. Yeah. And um, it was the late 70s through the early 90s was like the everybody was day taking, of... taking off south, going down and the summer yeah. on the beach. It was just amazing. Anyway, I get as far as Switzerland and uh yeah which isn't very far really (laughs) you missed that by a little bit (laughs) i did but i i ended up in this amazing village called lausanne which is a ski resort and it's in the pre-alpine part of the french-speaking part of switzerland and um i ended up in this resort it was the end of the winter season and there were tons of people around and they all they were all very supportive and said oh come and drink in our bar and uh and uh, I loved it so much. It was it was a stopover, but I ended up never leaving. So yeah. it was like this was this was my home for the next sixteen years. It was really like, yeah. So that was a, a pretty big stopover. On uh, <laughs> you, what was the moment that you were like, oh shit, I'm not leaving? Do you remember that? It probably on about the sixteenth year when I did need to go traveling. <laughs> So, um, every day you woke up like I'm gonna leave and at the end you're like I didn't leave (laughs) there were several several times where I thought is this where I want to be I mean I went through I worked for an American school for a while and um, 
in fact I'm going back there this weekend for a reunion which is kind of cool and I'm getting going to get see all those people that I first saw all those years ago when I was working in the school anyway I was I ended up working for this school for about eight years so it's quite some time and um, doing what I was I headed up the activities department so I my official job my official job title was director of activities isn't that a cool thing that's pretty good anyway, I'm very sporty as I we talked about yeah. um, before um, we started recording and um, so I would do things like organize these kids ski classes and take them on excursions kayaking on rivers and uh, also cultural excursions I organized all their cultural excursions to cities around Europe. It was a boarding school. So some of these kids had quite a lot of money and their parents would pay for them to go. Visit. Yeah, in a, in a Swiss boarding school? Yeah, I suspect yeah. that. Yeah. And there's me, hand up, I'm the chaperone and uh, I'm organizing it. So I get to pick which ones I want to go on. So I did get to travel around Europe um, and we did end up going to Greece actually. During <laughs> so you did get there. So I got to my Greek beach. <laughs> Let me ask, how do you how do you roll into a town with a backpack and get that job? Well, perseverance is is some of it. I didn't start with that job, actually. I started working as a waitress in a restaurant and uh, learned over a couple of months, learned some French. And it was it was an opportune thing. Somebody had left the, the job at the school and and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I, I, a lot of my life has, has been down to luck and being in the right place at the right time, which I'm very grateful for. And uh, that's how I ended up working for the school. But I also think that people end up like if you're if you're ready and you're open and you're sort of have an idea of what you want. I feel like your eyes tend to be gazing towards those things. And what we think is luck is sometimes like, well, that was just sort of like, that was what I was hoping would happen. Like, not that you knew oh, you were going to be a director of activities, but like you weren't looking for an office job. No, I, was, I wasn't looking for an office job, although it did end up becoming kind of mostly an office yeah. job. It, it, was, it was a fun job. And, um, and I think maybe I was able to offer some um, help and some perhaps mm -hmm. add something to the program. So just... When, when I had my first interview with the directors of the school, I remember there was just a click, you know, I, and they said, okay, this is the type of person I think we need in our, in our school community. It was quite a small school at that time. It's now a massive school and it's, I think it's quite um, well known, especially stateside. So um, it's, uh, I just felt like um, I'd met some good people and we connected and, uh, and I, I was able to contribute and I think that was what was the most important thing at the time that I felt I was useful and that they needed somebody yeah. who had my kind of skills um, and different. you got to travel and do sporty shit I got to travel and do sporty shit well so <laughs> I worked for them for um, about six as I said I'm probably a bit less than 16 years but at some point I said I'd like to take a sabbatical and and do my own thing um, and that's how <laughs> that was I, the end of that job. <laughs> that was the end of that job. Well, it wasn't actually because I tr I did a round the world backpacking trip um, and came back to Switzerland. I always knew that I was going to come back to Switzerland because 
well, A, I had my work permit there and that's oh. something you don't want to lose when you've yeah. got it. And so I had residency in Switzerland, yeah. which was very useful. And they actually welcomed me back afterwards to the school. Um, so say it wasn't 16 years in total, but I'd gone for my sabbatical in year 13, say. And, and then you I did an around the world back. We're not, we're not skipping over that. Like you went, how long did that take you? It was a year. I took a year off. Wow. And you just like backpacked. So now you're in your, you're in your thirties at that point when you're doing. Uh, yes. But, uh, no, late twenties. Okay. No, 30. 30 yeah. 30. You said 13 oh, years yeah. and you let, uh, yeah. Like, no, okay. So yeah. And then, um, but yeah. Where did you I, go? I, like, I, what, like, did you just, did you have it planned or were you like, I'm going to go here first and then I'll figure out where I'm going after that? No, I, that, so that I did plan. Okay. So at the time, you know, back then you had to buy paper tickets <laughs> and I had to actually physically buy a round the world ticket with all the destinations listed yeah. in, uh, in these little, I mean, it's just, I don't know if you remember, they were on this shiny paper and they were printed with red ink, you know, yeah. it was just the most amazing thing to handle these tickets and have them in my little pouch around yeah. my waist and, and, and say, okay, first stop Boston, yeah. second stop San Francisco. And that's more important than money. I mean, because like, if yeah. you lose those, it's like, uh, yeah. I gotta figure out how to, and in America, we used to have, AAA is a, is a car service here, but they used to have a thing called triptychs where you could call and talk with them and they would plan an itinerary, give you maps, buy the tickets for you and you would just pick up a packet. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Now everything's on our phone. We go through the passport control or tickets yeah. are on our phones. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, so you did. So that was when you came over to the States. That was, yes. did you go? Wow. So you went West. First I went or? West. I, so you, I traveled west all the way around. I went to, so actually I had my timings wrong at the beginning. Um, when I say 16 years, that that is the total time that I was in Lausanne. Yeah. But I had done this travel. It was in my late 20s. Okay. So I would, have been, I would have been working. So 20, I got to, so I would have been, I would have been eight years. And then I, I took you. my sabbatical. And then I came back and worked for two years and, and, um, so the, the trip I did, the backpacking trip was with a backpack to across America, um, Hawaii, New Zealand, Australia, and all the way up from um, Bali through Indonesia, Thailand, uh -huh. Malaysia, um, trekking in Nepal, and across to South Africa, where my brother was living at the time. I mentioned that way yeah. back. Yeah. And, uh, and then back to the back to Switzerland. And um, I went back to work. The, the school and then i thought mm, i've seen too much of the well, yeah that's yeah that's what i meant like once you've done that stuff it's hard to go back to it's where so you hard were to go back. so i didn't yeah. i i worked enough <laughs> so what i did was i <laughs> i ended up working and i still hadn't i hadn't spent all my money on that previous trip so i i kept working for the school until i'd earned enough money and then i went on a a bit of a really weird adventure where I flew with my mountain bike to Canada and I cycled from Jasper in Alberta to Boulder in Colorado. No shit. Along the backbone of the Rocky Mountains. Wow, and, that's pretty. Um, my uncle is a road biker and he's done it across the country, but you yeah. were doing that on trails. On trails. And, oh my uh, God. 
Uh, I planned it because I- Well, you would have to. (laughs) I I did definitely plan that one. And I've become an incredibly good planner at this time. Well, you can die when you're doing mountain stuff. Like, it's not like if something goes wrong, there's not like a place to go. You got to know what you're doing. You do have to know what you're doing. I mean, (laughs) I wasn't doing single track trails where I'd fall off stuff. You know, I'd make sure that I was fairly safe. I was mostly forestry trails, but you've got- bears you've got rednecks you've got floods <laughs> i had them all you know? and maybe not in that order maybe rednecks then bears in terms yeah. of <laughs> <laughs> them being my people i understand the fear that can be particularly if you're up in that area right like the wyoming like that part of the country is a very live free or die like they don't necessarily like people coming through oh it's quite scary i mean i i have written a memoir about it it hasn't been published yet but i'm intending to get that published at some stage and um it's just i realized when i when i started digging out my journals and writing all these stories how how precarious my life was for yeah. like the two months that i was doing this trip i'm like oh i you know I, it's more than nine lives i've gone through several <laughs> several cats <laughs> so as someone that like i didn't do the around the world stuff but like i've spent a, a lot of time traveling particularly in my 30s late 20s and 30s do you have this feeling in your life where you just sort of look around and you're like there's really nothing that i can't handle i do feel a bit invincible having done that um i think mainly because of that particular bike trip because yeah. I, I did it completely on my own I, yeah. I met a couple of people along the way but during those two months I was pretty much alone and uh, I felt like well here I can you know all I've got to survive is on my bike in bags on panniers on my bike yeah I have a little stove I, I you know I was even I even started collecting stuff in the forest to eat it was yeah. just I'd become completely self-sufficient and and um and I kind of it was a bit reclusive the so when I got to Boulder it was a, a big surprise to find that oh look there's a big community and I could become part of this for a while yeah and, even though Boulder's pretty small <laughs> Boulder's pretty small yeah but it's, but it's bigger great. than the woods but it's bigger than being alone on, <laughs> it's a, on a bike that's also probably I mean I've been there my cousins are firefighters out in that area like it is I love Colorado but that also is the kind of place that you probably rolled in and you were like, I understand a lot of these people. I do. I did. Um, and it felt very much at home. In fact, the, yeah. the reason I chose Boulder was because a couple of friends who'd been in Lausanne in Switzerland had moved there and yeah. said, if you're ever come through, come and visit us. Yeah. And um, I ended up staying there for a few months. And, and that was where I took my first creative writing classes at uh, CU in Boulder. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So I had uh, credits from there that I was then able to put towards my master's later when I studied uh, back in the UK. So that was, so it was. Had you along the way been thinking about writing? Uh, yes. And I had written. So I was the, the big thing was that I took um, journals with me and filled them filled them along the way and I I also had a little camera there's a bit of a sad story about that though I had a camera where I took a load of photos um, and then I um, sent the negatives back to all the negatives of the photos I took during my trip I sent back to my mum in the UK and they got lost oh 
And then the photos themselves that I had kept with me were in a, um, got water damaged in a flood. Wow. So everything is gone. So everything, everything was lost. Oh uh, man, that is the horror of I know. things so, these young people won't know about. So then I had to write, I had to write everything, all my memories, you know, yeah. just not to just have this album where I could show people afterwards, hey, this, this is St. Mary's Lake in in, uh, Mont yeah. in in Montana, and this is where I went, and blah blah blah. And here's Jackson Hole, and I had to write it all to remember it, which was um, incredibly uh, inspiring, really, because that then started me on the creative writing road as well. Yeah, so, and I, that as someone who, and I said I was going to get to the painting thing, and then I forgot. But I like most of my life, the people that I was involved with like in, in my personal life they were photographers cinematographers or people that were visual people because as a writer like I sort of think linearly and I think I was always attracted to people that sort of think of like you have to wait until all the strokes are there before you see what's happening right and like I've always said like visual people tell stories different than writers tell them and you as a someone who's linear you just have to wait until that thing has been painted you can't jump in in the middle and be like, why is that there? You're like, you'll see it. You'll get there. As you went from sort of this visual painting into writing, did it seem natural to you or did it feel like a new language for you? Not really, because um, in my head, what I'm trying to paint is, is words in my head. So I'm going, <laughs> okay. so I do a lot of landscapes and I, I paint a lot of stuff with water. Um, and I'm going, oh, okay, how would the, what, what's the reflection on the water going to look like? So somehow in my head, there are words that are translating into vision on the canvas. So it's, it's, it's um, I actually, you, I'll go back. You said it's different and I don't think so. I think it's the same. So you've got, you, you as a, a witness, you're witnessing somebody uh, painting and you are thinking, I don't know what that's going to be until it's finished. But if you think about uh, like a crime novel where everyone's trying to solve something along the way, you could think it's something that then uh, they've got a twist in there that, that suddenly takes you somewhere else. And that's what happens when you're looking at that painting too. Yeah. So, you, you know, I, nobody knows. I'd say I've got a seascape out there and I've got some kids and they're playing in the waves or some horses or whatever. You won't see those last things until the end. And it's the same when you're writing. You don't really see everything coming together until the end. So and that may be the difference between fiction and nonfiction. Okay. Yeah. Right? So I would say the fiction writers, of course, are having to cre create things for the reader who yeah. is trying to guess what's going to happen. Yeah. Who wants to work it out for themselves, but isn't quite sure. And so, in a way, I think that's the same as painting a picture. As a nonfiction writer, time happens this way right it happens yeah, straight like i can't yeah you were sort of beholden to the way in which things unfold obviously our lens looks at different things along and we can do regressions and things like that but at the end of the day the thing that happened happened right like yeah. and so for me i've always seen things very linearly even if the story i end up writing has flashbacks or you know asides and things like that and so I'm always fascinated. I think that's why crime writers fascinate the shit out of me. I think you've just articulated that is because it is like a painting. You just know what all the layers are before you start. 
ish. Yeah, and ish. I, I think <laughs> I think that genre as well is yeah. We pretty I, you can't really just blur. You can't really just spew out a crime novel yeah. and expect it to work. It, there, there's a lot of planning goes into it. Yeah. Yes, I would say that uh, uh, in terms of, you know, people that are going to be uh, painting a mural and just go with it, um, I don't think that that happens with crime writing because you, def you have, definitely have to plan. I, and I've actually interviewed a couple people who were TV and film writers who have said who then wrote their novels. I've talked about them on the show before. And like their first novels had never written a novel before. They're like in their 60s and wrote like the best shit that I've ever read in my life. And they're like, well, in TVs and movies, you're constrained. And as an artist, you know, constraints really give you the creativity because you know where you, you you're bouncing off things that you already know. And they're like, look, in a procedural at minute seven, this needs to happen. At minute 12, this needs to happen. And I just did that in my book. And I was like, that is both comforting and I could never do that. Yeah, I guess, I mean, some artists will tell you they can't do that either. So um, I'm, I wouldn't say it's the, it's the uh, be all and end all of, of creativity, but uh, yeah, crime writing is a bit different. Well, I just mean constraints are things that like, if you can do anything you want, that is overwhelming. Like, yeah. you know, the, there's a whole science called the paradox of choice, right? You walk into a grocery store, there's 50 different kinds of ketchup and you end up either buying the cheapest one or the name you recognize. Cause you're like, I don't know what those other 48 are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I find with writing, I'm like, if somebody's like, write what you want. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> I'm I'd gonna... love to be able to do that actually. So um, really, I'm, yeah, I'm often being told I have to get back to my brand because, um, oh. The business of writing. You're in the business yeah, of writing. The business of writing. Yeah. So, and actually, I want to write all kinds of different shit. I want to write dystopian. I want to write travel. I want to write... Yeah, I don't necessarily want to stick to the psychological suspense, which is what I currently am labelled as a psychological yeah. suspense writer. And um, but the agents are all going, oh, I don't think you should do that because, you know, we don't know if we're going to be able to sell your book. And yeah, it's we talk about it on the show. This is like I talk about this on the show all the time. Like there's lots of different kinds of professional writing. But if you're in the business of writing, right, like and I always tell people, like, be careful with your first novel, because if it's really successful, it's you really hard to switch it. that mid. Yeah, like if like you get a million people to buy it, everybody's like, "Well, what's the next thing you're going to write that's that?" <laughs> and it has to be similar. Yeah, yeah. it can't go too far off that uh, beaten track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very good. I see what you did there. Uh, you see what I did there. Uh, I have as many books in the bottom drawer as I have published. So uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well and if you got that hippie exploration travel around vibe, it makes sense that like you want to write into the genre that whatever the thing in your head is needs yeah, to I be. Mean, I mean, I really enjoyed writing that last book, The Beaten Track, and a lot of experiences in there were taken from my travels. So um, yeah. I, I, I read my journals back and thought, hey, I can I can do something with this. <laughs> and I can write a, a crime book. You yeah. know? This, this is interesting because it's kind of, Re, I'm reliving all that travel that I did back yeah. way back when, and um, I actually think I could do that again. But I'd have to make the the I think I'd have to make the crime something completely different. Sure. 
stalkers are passe in my in my uh, bureau right now so <laughs> <laughs> the idea of writing and being stuck in a genre is not the way writers think because we think well where do where does is this a screenplay is this a short story is this a memoir is this a and nobody sits down and says like oh i'm gonna write genre fiction they write yeah. a story and then somebody else says that's this and you're like okay like um, I, don't get me started about the genre <laughs> i it's such a shame that we have to be put into those yeah. it really yeah. is. writers when you're writing don't think about that stuff it's no. this other thing that happens and like you know if well, unless, the- you have, unless a writer has a, a character who they are going to carry through several books sure. and then that's a bit different but a series of books but no I, I didn't sit down um I think my second book really veered off the psychological suspense trail it went it went somewhere completely different and um and luckily it was I still managed to get it published so um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, my next book is is also different again in some ways. It's more like a, a lock room mystery. And so although it still comes under the crime heading, it's 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 going to be different. And um, I'm, yeah, it's, I, I don't want anyone to tell me, no, you have to slip back to that psychological suspense. Really. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, just what I've learned of you in an hour, I feel like that's like working in an office. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, you got to do this. Like, mm, I think I'm going to quit this job and get a backpack and I'll see you on the other side of this in a little exactly. while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are, you are delightful and lovely. We didn't even get through the whole journey because you're so goddamn interesting. Um, and thank you, <laughs> thank you for spending an hour with me talking about baking and cooking and backpacks and yeah. traveling the world. The beaten track is out now, right? Yes, it um, is. And I don't want to know what the next one's about, but like, is that like a next year thing or is that like just in the beginning phases of it? It's written. Oh, it's, shit. Uh, and I'm currently editing. So, uh, yeah, wow. we'll see. You've been, that's, uh, you've been productive in the pandemic. I, I do love to write. So, uh, yeah, I have been pro- productive, fairly productive in the pandemic. I also have a historical fiction that is sitting in the bottom drawer that- uh, Oh, fun. It's completely different. When So, yeah, don't even talk to me about genre there. It's a mystery, but it's uh, it's historic. It's medieval. It's really old. It's so, one of the things that I, I didn't start reading historical fiction really until I, just in the last few years, and I have fallen in love with historical fiction. I think, especially in the last- three years particularly or two yeah. years of the pandemic a lot of people have turned to historical yeah fiction. and i don't know if it's because we're not traveling and so it's like this is a way mm, i can they, be transported they somewhere don't else want to know what's happening today in our world is what it is and That's they a, yeah. don't want to know they don't they're too frightened to read what's going to happen in the future yeah so why not go back to the beginning where all this shit started and find out what went wrong that's uh, <laughs> really interesting because uh I've had lots of discussions with my friends in Europe and I'm like, you know, for four years, it was like, ah, what did Trump and Johnson do to fucking day? And so it makes sense. And it's like, you know what I need? We beat the Nazis in the forties. I've been reading a lot of world war II historical fiction. And I'm like, well, I know we won that one. So I'm good there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm going back to the 1300s and it was going wrong way back then. Yeah. As well, so. <laughs> yeah. The bad thing about humans is none of this stuff is really new. We just oh. have bigger sticks today. 
it's about time we learned from our mistakes, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, it's, you know, and then we'll, we'll end with this happy note. One way or another, we will. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, it might not be pretty. Yeah, I always tell people like, oh, it'll work out. It just may not work out how you want it to, but it's going to work out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you enjoy uh, your writing retreat up there. It sounds lovely. Um, I can't wait to pick up your book. And you are just, you're lovely and fantastic and so interesting. Oh, thank you so much, Brad. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah. And when the new one comes out, I'm going to have you back on and we'll finish the rest of the story. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> Don't doubt me when I tell you that uh, the interview is amazing and not because of me. Louise Mangus was uh, awesome. Her book, the beaten track is out right now. We didn't get anywhere in that interview, like nowhere. And yet it was, if you are like me, you were like, she would just say shit. And you were like, did she just say a thing? Like I kept having to pull her back. Like, what do you mean you traveled the world? Like, what do you mean you just stopped in Switzerland? Like what, like what, how, how do you get a job as a director of, you know, activities at this private boarding school? Like that, that what, that doesn't happen, but it happened. Before we get out of here, a couple of reminders. Uh, member, if you like what you heard today, we need you to help us out. Tell your friends about us. Leave those reviews either at Apple Podcasts or at uh, Facebook. Click on our little page. Click on the little reviews button. Don't forget to check out all the programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network. There's 12 now. And the Apple Podcast subscription. Including our flagship, Mother May I Sleep With podcast, with host and our solid listen podcast, Queen Molly McLear. Don't forget the jams out on Wednesday, jam sessions and the after party. Those are out on Fridays and Mondays. The surest way not to miss anything we do is get subscribed wherever you are listening right now. If you're in the car, like, get to where you're going first and then do it. Otherwise... Do it now. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.